This is The Road to the Show. I am Patrick Jones. On today's episode, we have probably the funniest man in baseball on. He is a right-handed pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. His name is Tim Dillard. If you haven't already been following Tim on social media, you definitely need to be definitely need to give it a shot. We'll post his uh, social media accounts uh, on the show notes page. Um, reached out to Tim actually just a few days ago, and he immediately responded back and said, "You know, let's do it." And I'm, um, you know, this is why I'm, I'm available. And, I, and that was it. And the next day, we we uh, recorded the episode, and just just a thank you to to Tim and. Uh, for coming on the show, and it's it's an awesome episode. It really gives some good insight into uh, what it's like in professional baseball. You know, Tim played in the major leagues on a few separate occasions. He's played, you know, independent ball. He's he's been around the block. I think he just completed his fifteenth season uh, in professional baseball. He gives some great advice here. Some great advice. Um, some pretty pretty funny stories. Um, he talks a little bit about you know how he started making these videos and and kind of why he makes the videos, and it's just it's a really fun episode because I've been able to um, see Tim on on his videos and before you know it I'm, I'm I've been on there for about an hour hour and a half just watching all of his videos so it definitely can definitely can take some time out of your day but it's definitely some good time some good fun so you guys are gonna enjoy this episode and without further ado Tim Dillard. What's up, everyone? This is Patrick Jones, and you're listening to The Road to the Show. Today we have on Tim Dillard. Tim is a right-handed pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Tim, thanks for stopping by, man. Yeah, man. Glad to be on. So the I don't know, how often were you able to follow the big league club throughout the year? I know they almost snuck in the playoffs, that wild card game. Um, how often are you able to follow the big league team even though, while you're in, uh, playing your own season? Well, I mean, I'm a relief pitcher, so I spend a lot of time in the clubhouse watching the Brewers game on TV while our game's going on. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I'm> just <laughs> well, you guys, you guys had a really good season, though. You you ended up winning your division, eighty eighty and fifty seven record. Um, yeah. You guys have a lot of guys go up and down throughout the course of the season. Yeah, that was that's probably how most people keep up with the big league club because it's such a swinging door. Um, you know, we'll have a guy that played in a big league game the night before, and then he gets to tell us the next day. And so we just ask him, you know, what's the heartbeat of the team? What's going on up there? And, you know, it's really fun to hear that, hey, man, team morale is good. You know, and, and what it does is it creates a great atmosphere. Even if the player gets sent down, he still feels a part of it. You know, he's the guy that's coming down going, here's what you can expect if you go up. I plan on going up. Let's all go up together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's what we try to create Triple A, and then obviously they're in the big leagues this year. Did you do you ever like watch games and you see like maybe a relief pitcher struggle and be like, well, maybe maybe I'm you know they're going to call me maybe tonight. Um, I was there's been a, a couple teams, not really teams, but a couple of players I've probably played with over the years that you know may may have gone out there and played their own game in Triple A or Double A, and then they run in to see the scores, you know, on the internet or on the TV to see you know, Hey, did something happen? Do I have a chance? And those players aren't playing anymore. You know, <laughs> you, you can't be, you can't be too concerned with what's going on above you. 
you know, because it, it does, it does. It can really distract you from your everyday and what you're supposed to be doing with your own team. Right. That makes perfect sense. Um, you've obviously pitched in the big leagues. Why is it so hard to pitch out of the bullpen specifically in the big leagues? Um, I don't know. I mean, big leagues is, is hard anyway, you know, unless you're just gifted to throw everything that's filthy, you know, like a Max Scherzer where every pitch does something incredible. Um, but the bullpen's just hard in general, you know, all the stats are kind of stacked against it and, you're just now seeing over the last few years, bigger contracts for relievers because they finally realized that, Hey man, these guys are good. You know, they don't see them as a dime a dozen. No, oh, we got a ton. The really good ones are the ones that stick and, and just, you know, produce every year. And that's a rare thing. It's really hard because it is a swinging door. If you fail and you're not, you're having a bad week, you know, you don't have that chance to come back and redeem yourself, you know, especially if you're a low man, a young man, on the totem pole, like they'll just grab somebody else. You know, you don't have that chance. Say a hitter struggles for a week and, but you know, he's good. So you, you, you know, stick him out there and then eventually it comes back around and does well. Uh, usually younger relief pitchers don't get that chance, but that's just the nature of the beast. Have you always thrown, I, I was watching some video um, of you. Have you always thrown from that like sidearm <laughs> arm slot or was that something that was developed over time? Well, actually, I rolled into spring training with the big league team with the Brewers in 2010. And uh, I usually, I thought they went alphabetical. You know, you got 30, 40 pitchers and everyone's kind of waiting their turn to throw. And I thought, you know, I usually throw in the top 10 or 15 over the years. And they were like, no, no, you're going to go last. And I was just like, okay, that's strange. But I was like, all right. So they waited till all the players were off the field, all the catchers except for one. And they brought in all the brass. There was you know, general manager was there, assistant general manager, scouts. I mean, I was like, I was getting a little nervous because I was like, what's going to happen? I feel like they're about to say, hey, you're fired, but you get to be a coach, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> but what they did is they were like, we think that you're a guy that can throw sidearm. And I had never even, that never crossed my mind because I just came out of the big leagues the year before and I had a pretty decent year in 2008, you know, and I used, I'd throw 96, you know, I'm like, those guys, there's not a lot of people throwing that hard, but they're like, no, we want you to throw sidearm. And I, I wasn't really convinced. And I had a triple A coach, Stan Kyles, and uh, he came up to me and he goes, I think you should give this a try. He goes, I think it's your, uh, it fits your personality. You know, it's just a little bit off, kind of like you. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he meant that as a compliment. And I don't know. I just went at it full throttle. I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to be apprehensive. I'm just going to go after it. And I don't know. I don't think my career would have been this long. And I definitely don't think I would have made it back to the big leagues had I not come sidearm. So, you know, it was a tough year or so, a year and a half of transition to kind of figure that out. Um, But I'm glad I did because there's no, there's no rule book, you know, I mean a playbook to figure out how to throw sidearm. There's nothing that there's no tips out there, or at least at this time. And, you know, I kind of, it was trial and error. I'd throw a pitch thinking, let's see what this does. And it wouldn't come back. It'd be over the fence. And, (laughs) I'm like, okay, all right, that doesn't work. So let's try this. And it was, and that's what it was. It was a full year in AAA of just can I do this or not? You know, can I figure this thing out? And and since then I've had I've had, you know, I've had success doing it. And I think I just because of the way I throw, I still feel like I got a lot of years left. I mean, do you think though, because like you said, you throw you're throwing ninety six, like throughout that, that first year where you were learning it. Um, you were, mm-hmm. what, did there ever come a point in time where you tell the coaches like, look, like I'm struggling a little bit. Why don't I just go back to throwing 96 again over the top? 
Well, I tried to do that. I was having trouble getting a job. I couldn't find a job in the U.S. And uh, <laughs> in probably 2013, end of 2012 and 13, and and I, you know, I couldn't figure out why. And so I was like, well, maybe maybe I just need to go back over the top. And so I ended up throwing for some scouts. And and I called some scouts and was like, hey man, you guys, will you guys come watch me throw? And and I started throwing over the top for a couple months to see how I would feel. And I was topping out at 86. So I was like, oh. well, okay, maybe that ship has sailed as far as throwing over the top. And before the scouts were leaving, they were like in their car. And I was like, wait, hold up. And I was like, you, you guys mind watching me throw some sidearm? And they were like, sure. And I was throwing 88 sidearm. So I feel like my body has just morphed into, <laughs> I can just make, you know, make better pitches. I can throw harder and have a better chance at sidearm. I think, I think the age has just morphed me in this way. If I did have a chance in the past to, to go over the top and throw hard again, I think that ship has sailed, but I don't know. I've never had a full off season training to throw over the top, but I've, I've pretty much given up on the over the top dream. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely understand that. What, what I know you went to a couple different leagues, like, you know, you played in a, actually in the Atlantic league a couple different times. I'm not, not for long. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? Cause not everyone, you know, really understands independent. I mean, you go to Atlantic, the Atlantic league, I know a lot about independent baseball because I was at a lower level. You go to that league, I mean, you could get picked up at any time being the big leagues that year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rich Hill, I think, pitched in that league, and he's doing amazing for the Dodgers right now. Dontrell Willis was in that league. Um, I mean, the, the rosters that I was on, I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, with the Lancaster Barnstormers, and I'd always thought the stigma of independent ball. It's like, well, you know, these are guys that are on their way out or guys that couldn't make it you know, didn't really know what to think, but went in with an open mind. And what I found out is, you know, at least 50% of our roster had played in the big leagues at some point, you know, so these guys were just as good as anyone else I'd played with or against. These guys were just as healthy and just as determined. In fact, I would say more determined to make it, you know, at least into pro ball and then, or into, into affiliated ball and then to the big leagues, because these guys, you know, weren't out there getting paid a lot of money. You know, there was no next level for them in that organization. And so a lot of the egos that you would run into, a lot of the problems in a clubhouse that maybe you can find uh, were not there, just not existent. These guys played as a team and they were hungry. And some of the, I mean, I don't know. I was privileged to be a part of that club because, I mean, it, it taught me about baseball again. You know, it kind of re rejuvenated me in that way to say, you know what, baseball is hard. And people are going to take your job if you don't fight for it. And so when I came back to affiliated ball, um, that, that was my mindset. And so I've been doing that for, you know, three or four years. I thought I was being, you know, scrappy and all that over the years and determined and all that. But you don't really know how much you can do until you're shown like, hey, you can push yourself further. And so that was actually a good moment for me, even though at the time it was, it was very difficult. But looking back, it was a very teachable uh, moment in my life. That's interesting. So would you say that in affiliated ball, um, are there, is there that jealousy factor, right? If you're in AAA and you see another, if you're an outfielder, another outfielder gets called up or if another outfielder does well, is, there, is that what you're kind of talking about a little bit, the jealousy versus, I know independent ball is just straight up, it's about wins and losses, nothing else matters. Yeah, well, you're, you know, in the minor leagues, it's, they're not, it's not always about wins and losses. You know, it's about develop, development. You know, can we get this guy ready? Uh, for the big leagues. And, you know, sometimes that's frustrating for guys because they want to win. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You want to win. 
And, you know, you like to think that a manager is saying push to win, but a lot of times he, his hands are tied in that way because certain guys need to play, certain guys are not priority and because of the next level. And, yeah, you just don't get that in independent ball. It is all wins and losses. And so guys go out there knowing that every single moment counts. And you can get complacent a little bit in affiliated ball because you're just like, well, I'm here. You know, we play every day. You know, maybe I get called up. Maybe I don't. So you kind of just hit cruise control. And, I, I mean, I'm guilty of that. Probably not in the last four or five years. But, you know, before that, years ago, I just thought I'd always have a job. You know, I'd always have a chance at the big leagues. And, you know, well, those things don't grow on trees. <laughs> and you do have to – got to fight for it. Otherwise, there's, you know, hundreds and probably – more like thousands of players just ready to take your job. Oh yeah, for sure. When you're when you're like in a game or in the bullpen, are you studying um, each hitter, knowing that possibly you could face him later in the game? Yeah, I think there's a certain level. I mean, I've only played with a couple of guys that bring like a notepad or or something down there to take notes. But um, you know, we try to keep things loose in the pen, but still pay attention. You know, especially the hitters that are going to give us problems, like. If I'm looking at a right-handed hitter and I can look at his bat path and see his stats going in and think, okay, well, this guy's probably not going to be the biggest threat to me. And then there's a lefty because I'm a sidearm righty. You know, lefties can give a problem to me. And this guy's got 30 jacks. He's batting 380 in his last five games. You know, I have to be aware of that. You know, I can't just walk out there and go, I'm just going to throw this guy, whatever. Um, there's, there's a little bit of how this guy, how would I match up against this guy? And so there's always this awareness in your head. Um, but you don't want to be locked in in the first inning because by the time you get in in the seventh or whatever, you're going to be tired. <laughs> okay, so keeping it so, loose throughout, <laughs> throughout the entire game pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then that's what I feel like bullpen guys have a great job of doing. And, I mean, in the big leagues, it's, at, it's even at another level. It's how you can stay loose, stay in the game, pay attention to the game, you know, take away from it what you need, and then just lock it in for yourself. Because, I'm, you know, when I go out there – I don't want to sit there and try to think, oh, I don't even know who's up. You know, is this guy lefty or righty? You want to have a sense of, all right, I know what I'm coming into. I'm coming in to face a righty. I got a man on second. There's two outs. This guy, it's, let's say, Smith. All right, Smith has pulled the ball twice to third base tonight on the ground. So this guy's probably going to pull. Let me throw something away, you know. And so you kind of have this awareness. I remember facing um, a guy this year that was in Round Rock. And uh, this guy's, you know, like, he's been around forever. He's a professional hitter, we call it. He just knows how to play the game. And so in certain situations, i got to pitch him a little more careful than I would a 22-year-old rookie because, you know, the 22-year-old rookie doesn't really have a plan up there with, let's say, getting a guy in from third base. But some of these older guys, they know exactly what they're trying to do. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a chess game for a few seconds until you figure out what you're going to do. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Um, what when you go into the game, or when you go into you know, I guess each situation is going to be different. But is there like a mindset or a mentality, um, you know, like an aggressive mindset to just attack each hitter, or what's that? What's your mindset like when you go in the game? Whew, man, uh, I don't know. I guess just I need an out. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. I remember, I remember my dad used to tell me when I was pitching in high school. I'd, I'd never pitched, so I was always a catcher. And when I started pitching, I just didn't know much about it. Shocker. But I, you know, I didn't know the, the intricacies of, of pitching. My brother did it, but I always caught him and I always caught other people. And I knew what to do behind the plate, but out in front of the plate, standing on the mound was a little different story. But I remember my dad was like, 
it doesn't matter what you look like. You can go out there and stand on your head. If you get an out, you know, you're doing good. And so I just always took the mentality of, I don't care what it looks like, just get an out. You know, let's strip down pitching to the very basics. It's about getting it out. So let's say every time you walk out there, you throw three balls within the fourth pitch, the guy decides to swing and gets out. You're an awesome pitcher. Now, did you get behind the hitter? Yes. Did you almost walk him? Yes, but you got him out. So I go out there thinking this one pitch I throw could be the chance to get it out. And I think with that awareness and that urgency is, is helped me. And I, I think all pitchers should definitely have that, uh, especially bullpen pitchers. Yeah, that's why I was, that's why I was kind of curious because I'm not a pitcher and, you know, you see some guys, they just – are you out there and it seems like they just throw, try and throw as hard as they can every single pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be what they're working on that day. They walk out there and go, I'm just going to see how hard I can throw today. Yeah, that, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Now, you've, you've become like, like an online, like YouTube, like social media kind of star. Like, how did this all happen? <laughs> uh, very strange. Uh, well, in, I'll back up in 2011. I was in the big leagues and I was, my locker was in between Niger Morgan and John Axford. And, you know, they were the first two that were like, Hey man, let's, you know, you should get on Twitter. And I was just like, man, I haven't heard anything much good about Twitter or social media. Like I didn't have Facebook. I was off the grid, man. I just got a cell phone, you know, that had a flip phone until like 2009. So, or 10. <laughs> so I just didn't really care. And and they're like, no, man, you'd be great. But I saw the way they were using Twitter at that time. I think they're probably doing a better job now. But I didn't, I didn't like how they were doing it. And I was just like, well, if I was going to do it, I wouldn't do that. And so I put it off and put it off. Didn't really think much of it. And then I couldn't find a job. And I was going to independent ball. And this was probably 2014, I guess, or 13, 13 or 14. And my wife was like, you know what? If you think about doing something in the future, you may need to kind of get ahead of that with Facebook and with Twitter and stuff like, you know, if that's what you want to do later on in some kind of entertainment, whatever broadcasting or something like maybe, maybe do that. And she probably regrets it a lot now because <laughs> <laughs> I've actually enjoyed it very much, but the one, the way I try to use it, man, I just, I want it, I want it to be fun. I want it to be fun. I don't try to post anything that's not fun. I don't want to post anything controversial. I'm just like, let's use it for what it is. It's, I mean, it's just a tool to spread some joy. It's not, I don't try to use it to have opinions on anything. I could care less, but anyway, people seem to be drawn to that, you know? And so the next thing I know, every few days I get a few more followers and, you know, and it, it is fun interacting. I, I remember meeting a lady that was, uh, that was in independent ball. She was like, you know, kind of a team mom and stuff like that. And so she messaged me and was like, Hey, I heard you're coming. She's like, what kind of candy do you like? you know, cause I'm going to make sure there's some in your locker when you get here, you know, that kind of thing. And so she ended up being, you know, a really good friend. I was like, wow, like the team mom, you know, and, and that's when I realized that Twitter is, is, is universal. I mean, you can make friends all the way across the country, all the way across the world. Uh, you can do it in Venezuela, <laughs> which I did. And it, you know, and you wouldn't have that accessibility without it. So uh, that's that's how I use it. I use it to build relationships because at the end of the day, that's really what we're all doing is just building relationships. Well, it seems like your teammates like love it as well. Does that help like keep them loose as well like during the season? <laughs> well, I always look at it as you look at Joe Madden with the Cubs, you know, and, and he when he was with the Rays and stuff, they, 
you watch spring training, I feel like there's always something going on. You know, they're always like bringing animals into the clubhouse or they got cars on the field or, you know, something ridiculous is happening. And I think what he touched on years ago is to break up the monotony of everyday baseball, you know, and, and so I've kind of adapted that in a way where I want guys to come to the field going, I wonder what we're going to do today. (laughs) What are we going to film today? Are we going to break something? We're going to run across the field dressed in costumes or something like that. And it's really fun too, because people come to the field and they go, Hey, I got an idea for a video or, Hey, is this funny? We should do this. And my rule is if you have an idea for a video, you got to be in it. So (laughs) that's how I get my participants. That's so like, like growing up, were you like always like the, the jokester or funny guy or like, was this something that just literally just came out of nowhere and you just adapted this? Like, (laughs) um, I mean, in a way, I mean, I didn't, I guess I, I always like to make jokes and stuff like that. I don't think I was necessarily like a class clown, but I just, I like to enjoy life, you know? And I used to make videos all the time as a kid, I'd set up the big VHS camcorder, you know, that weighs like 87 pounds and, you know, I tried to make videos and they were just terrible, but nowadays I can make videos on my phone and make them real quick and edit them and put words. And this is the stuff I was doing when I was 11. So <laughs> now it's just now kind of getting out there of, of, you know, capability. It really is what probably, you know, gave me a chance to kind of express myself. Cause if you look at baseball, baseball, they tell you where to go, what to do, what to wear, you know, how to act in a certain way. And, if you're a creative person, you really don't have that creative outlet. And so it's Twitter is actually an Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. It's just been a really good way to kind of, I don't know, express yourself a little bit. No, that makes, I mean, Hey, that makes perfect sense. Um, is there, I, I was watching the other day online. Is there like a favorite like impersonation that you have, or is it just kind of like anybody? I saw you do like Harry Carey, like Tim Kirchin. Like. <laughs> I don't know, man. If, if if you spend enough time with me, I'll have probably an impersonation of you. It has it's not really like you, but it'll be like over the top trying to be funny. I guess uh, I, I can impersonate lots of the coaches in the Brewers organization, probably because I've known them for over you know a decade or so, and that's the way I always learn. So if a coach tells me something in a boring voice, I'm probably not going to remember it. But when I got a coach that's like, "Hey, you need to make sure that you're backing up third base." You know, when that ball's coming in, that's how I remember it. I just, you know, this guy talks awesome. You know, if Yoda was my coach, I'd remember everything he says. I'd be a little confused, but I would know what he's saying. Do the coaches like it that you do this throughout the season? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) They keep signing me back, so at least I'm not offending too many people. Uh, (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, I, I think everyone's slow to kind of get into it. I think what happens is guys are kind of standoffish. Like, I don't know how to read this guy, especially new people coming in, whether it's a player or a coach. You know, I say new because I feel like I've been off and on with the Brewers for so long. And, you know, they, they're just kind of like, all right, I'll keep you at arm's length until I figure, figure out what you're doing. And once they see, like, the, the process of, like, making a video or a picture or doing something silly, and then they see the end result, they're just like, all right, I kind of want to be a part of that. That seems like they're having a good time. And really the most fun part is actually the process of doing stuff uh, to make a video, trying to find, you know, props and gimmicks and stuff like that. And and, and it's really cool because when the coaches kind of get involved, 
you know, like in the creative process or trying to help us out and giving us ideas, <laughs> it really brings it to another level. Cause it's like, we have this authoritative permission. You guys are doing the right thing. Keep doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Now you're, you're a couple weeks into the off season. Like what's a, what's an off season yeah. look like for you? Yeah. Um, well, every off season is different. Uh, I still got my youngest is in diapers, so I'm doing the diaper thing. Uh, <laughs> I always do laundry and I'll do the dishes and clean the garage and vacuum and whatever I need to do uh, to make sure the house is, you know, moving. Uh, I like to piddle around the office and make dumb videos and put, put them on Twitter when the, when the kids are down for naps. <laughs> I make lunches in the morning and make sure that, you know, kids are on the bus and make sure they get off the bus and I don't know. There's, we've got soccer games and practices. We've got baseball games and practices. And I don't know. It's just, I, I come home and usually the first month of the season or off season is just, you know, being a dad, being a hands-on every day here involved dad. And I don't get that obviously for the last six months. It's really difficult. So um, yeah, the first month of the off season for me is probably my favorite, favorite month of the year. It's just, I don't know. I don't do anything but be with my family. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. One last question, and then we'll let you get going here. If you had like okay. a, a a piece of advice, or you know, we're gonna have a lot of uh, player, young players uh, listening to this. If you had a piece of advice cool. for like a, a high school pitcher or player, um, what like what would it be like from a mechanic or mentality or a workout, just anything? Like what what would you recommend that like a young pitcher focus on? Uh, if anybody wants my advice, (laughs) uh, you know, I I spoke to my college after I, my, I went to junior college and after I think I'd made it to the big leagues and I think we made the playoffs that year in 2008. And so they asked me to come speak at my college and I I couldn't really think because I was like, man, what would I want to hear some dude say to me while I'm in college? You know, what, what can he possibly tell me? Cause I wouldn't even listen. I'd be like, whatever. I know it all. And if I was in high school, I probably wouldn't even show up. So I went to this banquet, you know, kind of a fundraiser thing, and I was the key speaker. And I, I really thought hard on what, what would I tell myself? Like, what would I actually listen to if I was there? And basically, I just said, you know, you, you have to have your goals high. If your goal is to make the high school team, you're probably going to make the high school team, and that might be it. You know, if you're training, to, you know, get to Division One college, you may get there, and that could possibly be it. But I just look back at – each level when guys were facing their last chance playing baseball, you know, it was hard. They were crying. They knew this was it. They're not going to put spikes on anymore. And I, I didn't want that to happen to me. I just, I always wanted to play in the big leagues. I never wanted to take my spikes off. I was going to fight for a Jersey. You know, I just, I just didn't want that to happen. So I just want to keep going. That was my focus. My focus was never make a high school team, make a college team, make a, you know, a double a team. Like I just, I want to make it to the big leagues and if that's a stepping stone to do that, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the correct steps to get there. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's me hitting in the cage when maybe some other guys are, you know, going to see a movie, which I love movies, but it's about how bad you're willing to work, what you're willing to sacrifice. You know, Um, you can see the people that aren't playing anymore that were in high school and college that maybe they spent more time doing something else. So I'll tell it. You know, my advice would be the same thing I tell my son. You can't roll out of bed and play baseball. <laughs> you just can't. Right. You can't just show up on Saturday and hope to get five hits in a Little League game if you haven't swung a bat all week. 
It's just the baseball is constructed in such a way that it, you can't do that. And so that's probably what makes it so fun, makes it so challenging. I mean, not to say that you could roll out of bed and play in the NBA, but, you know, there's a certain level of craft that you have to have to play baseball. And it's, it's how well-rounded you can be at your craft. Awesome. Yeah, I, I completely 100% agree. Um, that's awesome advice for, you know, all the players well, are going to be listening. Good. So I passed. <sighs> I yeah, you did a good job. You did a good job. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is Tim Dillard, right-handed pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Tim, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on the show today, man. No problem, Patrick. I appreciate it, man.